Now we're we're opening up the uh, the uh, to a 15 minute question and answer this time, so everyone <laughs> can feel a participation if they have questions. If we can take uh, uh, motion, uh, motion, motion. Okay, uh, Eitan. Can't reach very far for anyone who has a question. If they would be kind enough just to step forward, and so we can all hear the question. All right. I, I, it's strange that you, but the Zohar, the Zohar um, discusses Jonah. You talk about Jonah and the whale, right? Okay. What is your specific question? Um, just how the, how the connection is made between that story. Are you referring to the specific Zohar that was mentioned? I read some of the translation. Okay. Okay. Good. I was just wondering how you know <laughs> how you thought of that. That's right. Uh, the Zohar realized that if Jonah was not was not contained within the whale then he would be vulnerable and susceptible to all of the other forces around him the forces of drowning how could he protect himself just in brief because it's 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 a very lengthy but you're asking me this is the same idea he would have to become separated this is the this is the um, the singular idea of this entire Zohar in this week's portion. We must become separated from the forces of evil. Now, someone in the middle of an ocean without a boat, without a life preserver, so on, he is vulnerable. What does it mean? He's vulnerable. He ultimately will drown, probably in the middle of an ocean. Only not because, well. He hasn't got what to support himself. No, because there are forces. There is a force in water that wants to drown people. It's not he, the absence of a support system, but there are very positive, uh, very distinct forces out there. And therefore, if Jonah was not swallowed up by the whale, he would be vulnerable to the forces of drowning. And so he would have to meet the inevitability of death. And therefore the Zohar mentions that. Also part of this same section of separation. Vulnerability or immune depends on the extent of our separation from the forces of evil outside of us. Okay. <coughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, the idea was a tabernacle. Now, if 
Now, this is revolutionary, and I mean, it may not even be correct. But if we can instill within the manufacture of suits and clothing, etc., that when they manufacture these, this clothing that you speak of, if they can put in a consciousness, which unfortunately I don't think they do, of bringing the light force, in other words, they open up the Zohar and begin to scan this week's portion as they are manufacturing the clothes, your idea is well, is well made. I would agree. But unfortunately, that is not, uh, I don't think that's the way they do it today. But if I had a manufacturer and I knew he was, he was putting in this atmosphere into his, uh, uh, in his manufacturing, uh, plant and, uh, uh, let me, I'll let you in on a little secret. I, I will not discuss, there is a large corporation that is entertaining this idea. We'll leave, and we'll leave it at that. Nice point. I enjoy it. Okay. From what I understand, Rabbi, if the satanic force comes to us at a blow, quickly, where we have no warning, and if we lead our life... Uh, if I can correct you, there is no such thing as no warning. In other words, AIDS, AIDS began 20 years ago. We say it comes without warning and suddenly, you know, the individual is weak, etc. Or uh, suddenly he feels, uh, 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 the woman feels a lump in the breast. So, you know, but that's not when it happened. You know, that comes like no warning, but actually there is no such thing. In coming here and realizing that um, some of the ways that I've lived have, have not been appropriate and so forth, and I'm into studying and I'm, I'm into writing wrongs and so forth, and I continue to do that, how much of an influence does my past lives, reincarnations, what I need to correct, will continually force... Um, work against me if I'm trying to correct what I have done in the past in several lives, will I be able to win out? In other words, there's, there's all on a conglomeration of many past lives, a lot of evil within me. So in working with the light and in, in, in wanting to correct all of this... What do you do in the, in the interim? Is that your question? I still have, I still have to pay back. That's right. From the other. So, I mean, um, you know, how much of an influence what I'm doing now is going to work when there's so much of maybe 5,000 years that I'm comparing. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I understand the question, yes. Well, um, the answer, according to the Zohar, as strange as it may sound, If, as I know you will, Saturday, come and listen to the reading. At that moment, 
the creation of all negativities that we all, that we all have, have, uh, created around us because of prior, uh, uh, offenses, because of prior offenses, which we call in a prior incarnation, now comes back to haunt us. However, these forces can continually haunt us as long as they can attach their clutches to ourselves, to our lives. But we have been given the opportunity, you know, not to have to wait 20, 50, or 60 years, meanwhile, have to go through the suffering. We are given, as we have been discussing this morning, a methodology by which I, at least I can hold it at bay. It doesn't mean that the opportunity to commit the same offense is not going to arise again. And if I fall through at that moment, then I invite him back again. However, it was not the intent of God that because of past crimes that we committed in, in, in prior incarnations or even in present incarnations, and we're really sorry. We're really sorry. But the fact that we're sorry, you know, he doesn't listen to him. You're sorry. He says, this is my job. There is retribution for every crime that's been committed. However, however, we can't be one step ahead of him. It doesn't mean that I have eliminated him, but I can at least keep him at bay, and that's the reason for the reason. I can keep him at bay, or not, we wouldn't have a chance. We would never have a chance. He is so, he is so powerful. Take a look at what he's doing to the entire world. Whether it's Russia, whether it's Bosnia, whether it's Samaria, you know, just all around the world including Israel, including the United States, riots, etc., uh, World Trade Centers. There's too much going on because he is not being kept at bay. But this is some of the methodology that we have been fortunate in the past 20 years now to become acquainted with. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, this information was not available to a person like you. It wasn't available to me 31 years ago. And therefore, we, 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 we fell back on the idea of religion. Well, God in his mysterious ways. I mean, first of all, who even thought that I could be responsible because of a prior incarnation or because of prior uh, offenses that I committed? Well, you know, we're too holy and too righteous for that, right? So who could we... Who could we even connect this tragedy, this chaos to, in such a wonderful religious atmosphere as God knows what he's doing? He's punishing us because we deserve it. We deserve it, but he's punishing it. And, and that leads us away from, from the essential teaching of Kabbalah. Okay. All right. We'll have two more questions. My question is whether um, we should act or not act in certain situations. And then you said that we always have a clue if there's when you're called from the chaos is going to come into our life or somebody else's life. And we, I'm not sure everybody here has heard the story, oh, you know, people have to learn from their own mistakes. So if you're in a situation where you've experienced a problem, and you see that problem coming to someone else's life, it's the same scenario, you see that chaos coming, should you act or not? Should you help them? And if you help them, are you actually helping them? 
beautiful question because, in fact, it was something I had planned on mentioning and I didn't. Don't we all learn from our past mistakes? And the answer is emphatically, no, no. We never learn from our mistakes. And you know what they say about a person who's done it for the third time? Well, it's no more, you know, you're not just plain stupid, right? If you've done it three times over and over and over again, I mean, now we're plain stupid. Why haven't we learned from our mistakes? This is the essential teaching of this week's czar. Because the force that is bent, and this is where we've got to arrive at this consciousness. And as I say, you don't have to accept it, but without accepting it, then you're going to be vulnerable. That's the rule. I, I wish I could give you other rules of the game, but this is the rule. If you do not understand that by learning from the mistake, but not removing or separating from the force that brought you into making the mistake the first time. Now all you do is say, well, I won't make the mistake again. No, you're going to have to make it over and over and over again because that force is there ready to strike. You have only one alternative, and that is to create the separation. Create a security shield around you. That doesn't mean you've eliminated him. If you let your shield down, he'll be back tomorrow. This is the essential teaching. It is a force that lurks all around us. Unfortunately, 24 hours a day. The idea of learning from experience is not the removal of the Dark Lord. And therefore... What we have in Kabbalah is to provide us with that security shield. Nothing more. Learning from our mistakes has never been the resolution. Okay, we'll have one more. Would you just like to step forward? I meant to mention that. That's right. Rabbi. It's exciting to have you uh, invoke a lot of physics to, as I say, not validate, but more verify uh, a couple of mystic principles. Uh, I think it would be useful to uh, have you share with us how you would, uh, how you explain metaphysically the, the modern physics realm that would, that would correlate with this atomic forces. And also, as a correlate with that question, how we may answer uh, so-called enlightened modern uh, 20th century people who would uh, be inclined to dismiss the subject matter of our discussion today as, quote, uh, superstition. I, I, I've thought about, and, I, and you probably have noticed in my writings, I, I, I make an attempt to somehow uh, correlate some of the teachings of the Zohar to uh, modern-day science. To 
to create a higher, a higher, uh, or an altered state of consciousness, one can be a physicist and yet be closed. Uh, as you know, the, the, uh, of science is not why, but how. And when a scientist is confronted with the idea, okay, the Big Bang, beautiful, they've established it. Now they're only 300,000 years away from the original Big Bang, and now they've found it. They found the Big Bang, although I think 300,000 years away from it could still be a, another world, possible. But what they never have made an attempt to, and that's where the consciousness of, of uh, science will change is because our, our consciousness, you and I, the layman, will be changing our consciousness and say, look, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with how. I want to know why. This word why is the essential feature of Kabbalah. Why did the Big Bang come about in the first place? I mean, there, there are millions of, uh, 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 millions of pieces of literature written on the Big Bang, but not once have I ever seen a physicist or a scientist address the question as to why did the Big Bang come about in the first place? And without the answers to why, the hows probably will be incorrect. They are in a dilemma today. I mean, got to understand that uh, there are two universes, parallel universes they toy with, they don't even understand. They know we should be able to go back in time. How do you go back in time? You've seen all the movies. We'll hopefully be coming out with a documentary within the next year and a half to two years, and we will actually demonstrate so simply as to how one can go back in time. But once he goes back in time, then he should alter, you know, the picture about going back in time and stopping Pearl Harbor from ever occurring, warning the, 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 uh, the, the President of the United States and everyone else the Japs are coming, right? I mean, if you can go back in time, why can't you do that? But they have difficulties. But when, and as, and as a little item like, you're gonna be uh, in July witnessing a new film about dinosaurs, by Spielberg, I mean, it's great, but it's got too many holes. But when I mention the idea of, of the Zohar in my power of the alphabet, what happened to the dinosaurs, right? Where are they? How are they extinct? And along comes the Zohar and says, my friends, they never disappeared. Well, now I've shattered the whole movie of Spielberg coming up, and of course, all of the scientific literature on how, was it a meteor, was it a comet, was it a this, was it a that? And my answer to you, my friends, this morning is, the dinosaurs never disappeared. Well, where are they? Ah, <laughs> huh? the lizard. The lizard, he was reduced to the lizard. He looks exactly like the dinosaur. Well, maybe that's too simple. Yes, because it tells us that we, human beings, before the fall of Adam, we were like 2,000 feet high. Now, if you were 2,000 feet high and that was the built of your body, would you be worried about a dinosaur? 
Look what we've done to all the movies about dinosaurs, you know, King Kong, you know, grabbing the little, poor little uh, blonde girl, you remember? I mean, but if you're 2,000 feet high, would you be worried about a dinosaur 48 feet long, would you? Of course not. It would be the same as the cockroach or the lizard to you today. All is relative. The theory of relativity did not originate with Einstein. It's been in the Ares teachings for 400 years, clearly expressed and in the Zohar, unfortunately, concealed. So, uh, it rapidly, uh, really, really quickly, uh, is this information, and the more information comes out and is disseminated by the layman, so will be the influence upon the, upon science. And that's the way it's going to work. I hope I've answered to some measure your question. Superstition, I've always said the people who, uh, who are guilty of superstition are the weather forecasters. <laughs> They've created such myth, you imagine? We're expecting a storm here in California. And then the sun shines so brightly like it never shone before. I mean, these people believe in superstition and myths. What do you call that? What do you call when a particle, and this is getting a little too technical, sometimes <laughs> uh, uh, an entity, uh, 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 an electron can act as a wave in some days as a particle. In my new book coming, it's so simple. It is so simple. And yet this is a myth in physics. How one thing can behave one way and acts another way. The opposite. How can one thing act two ways? Take a look at a human being. Today he loves you, and what happens tomorrow? Turns around and hates you. Is he the same person? Sure he is. Has he changed? No. What changed? Consciousness. Look how simple it is. But they're so engrossed in the material in front of their eyes, they can't think quantum. It's so simple. It's so simple. And everything. I mean, medicine today is so medieval as compared to what it will be only two short years from today. Two, I won't say two, I'll, I'll give myself the leeway of seven years when we see an amputated arm restored. God, science doesn't even think about Allah, but they already mentioned that already 400 years ago, that that's what's going to happen. And Rabbi Avram Azulai gave us even a date. Superstition about an arm being restored? Yeah, you don't believe it. Who believes in that superstition? But you know, it could be very helpful. Thank you and God bless you all.